So we're continuing our series uh, tonight on abundant life, and I want to do a very quick, very quick recap of what we've done up to this point. First, Jesus calls us to practice and to engage the disciplines. Ash Wednesday, we looked at Matthew 6, and Jesus says, not if, but when you pray, when you fast, when you give alms, assuming that we would take up these practices that God has given to us, that he commends to us as the way of seeking our Father and that our Father will reward us for. Second, we saw that the disciplines, this was last Sunday, commend um, or are the way in which we anchor our life more deeply in God and more specifically, more deeply in the Word of God and that they are therefore the key to resisting temptation as was the case in Jesus' life and therefore is important for our own lives as we seek to resist temptation and walk into God's abundant life as well. Today we're going to turn to the first of four key disciplines that we will explore over these next four weeks. And tonight we're looking at Scripture, at the Word of God. But before we get there, I want to do a little bit of introductory work and carve out the space or or articulate the space in which this series belongs as we think about the Christian life, because there could be confusion around this that could be unhelpful, so I want to carve out this space and make it clear. The gospel of Jesus' lordship, of God's radical, gracious welcome of undeserving men, women, and children like us, of sinners like us, of our being given life by, by virtue of God's spirit coming to dwell in us, that gospel is the backdrop or it's the context within which this series on abundant life and taking up the disciplines occurs. So we're dealing in this series with our ongoing relation to the God of life, the God of grace, the God of the gospel, whose love for us is a gift given to us, those of us, all of us who are unworthy. The underlying assumption of this series is that and it's a biblical one, confirmed by 2,000 years of Christian experience, is that it's possible for you and I, in light of the grace of God, to move more deeply into the abundant life that he offers. And not just that it's possible that we as the church, as God's adopted children, do this, but that, that it's actually necessary because we are weak, prone to wander, and all too easily blown off course by trials and temptations. And all of us know that. We know how weak we are. We know how easily we can lose faith and get jaded and discouraged. Listen to these exhortations out of the New Testament. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. To walk in a manner worthy of God, 1 Thessalonians 2, that first one was Ephesians 4. To live as worthy citizens of the gospel of Christ. These exhortations call forth in us a deepening and growing spirit-empowered life of faith. That's the call upon our lives. And our conviction is that God has given us practices that we can take up in order to grow more deeply into his life. And taking up this way or these practices underneath the grace of God is the way of wisdom for us as his children a pathway to more and more of his life. So what we're doing in this series is exhorting each other as the church, as those saved by grace through faith people, that was a mouthful, but you get where I'm going with that, to go deeper, to be rooted, 
anchored and established. And this is also a work of grace. All is of grace. And at the same time, it is inevitably something that we take up in cooperation with the Spirit of God and His power. That is, our wills are engaged on this path. Our habits matter and make a difference. And and to say that our wills are engaged or that our habits matter is not to merely just give lip service to the doctrine of grace that that we can quickly run over to this idea that we're somehow saved and brought to life by our own efforts. That's not the case at all. This is not about depending on ourselves. It's just true. Underneath the Word of God, the grace of God, that we take up this, these, this way and that we join with God in growing deeper. So one of the passages that says this very clearly and plainly and mysteriously is work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who is at work in you. Let me try to give you a picture. If I've lost any of you at this point and you like to think in pictures, here's a picture Uh, Imagine the proverbial scene of a parched traveler out of water walking through the hot desert. The clouds envelop him all all of a sudden, and it begins to rain, and the rain is everywhere around him. It's around him in abundance, and while it satisfies him to a point, cooling off his sunbaked skin, what he really needs, more than anything, is to turn his head upward and open his mouth so that those raindrops can get into his body and refresh him in a way that the superficial rain on his skin cannot. That's receiving the gift of the rain in the fullest way possible. We're kind of like that traveler, surrounded by and drenched by the grace and love and mercy of God. It's everywhere we look, everywhere we turn, all around us and drenching us. But to receive that grace and that love and that mercy most fully means that we open our mouths and turn our faces to Him. That's taking up the disciplines. They don't create the rain. They don't, they're not the life itself, but they are the God-appointed places where we encounter the God of life who is eager to fill us with more of Himself. To not take them up doesn't make it stop raining, but it does leave us thirsty and therefore weak for the journey ahead. It leaves way too much of the gift underutilized to our own detriment. So God offers us abundant life. We're given a feast by him to richly enjoy, and yet we often settle for something less. But we don't want to settle. That's the point of this series. We don't want to settle. We want to live the abundant life that God has called us to live. We want to flourish as his children, having been met by his radical grace in Jesus, having been adopted into his family, having had our sins forgiven for no effort of our own, no merit of our own. The heavens have opened and the showers of God's love are pouring forth. So the idea of this series is let's turn our faces and open our mouths as the grace-drenched people of God to receive more and more of his life knowing that no one on earth or in heaven is more eager for us to do so than our loving Father. So we start today, in these next four weeks, of looking at these disciplines with Scripture. 
the Word of God. Here's what we need to say at the beginning. Interaction with, meditation upon, and study of this Word, the Bible, is the most essential and basic of all Christian disciplines. In fact, without the Word at the center, all other disciplines in the Christian life would be vacuous. And the other disciplines are, in fact, made effective and filled and guided by the Word of God. So the Word is the starting place. So I just want to ask at the outset, is God's Word your faithful old friend that you turn to for pleasure, for recreation, for nourishment, for encouragement, for rebuke? Or is God's Word more like an acquaintance that you met some time ago but have only seen occasionally since then that you don't really interact with, and when you do interact with him or her, the interactions are a bit awkward. My hope is that at least in some small way, our time tonight will encourage you to make the Word of God more of a friend, of a standard place that you turn. If you have your Bible with you, open up to Psalm 119, and specifically to verses 9 through 16. All we're going to do tonight is look at three insights out of the second stanza of what is the longest chapter in the Bible. This acrostic poem in Hebrew, every verse in each of the eight verse stanzas begins with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And we're looking at the second stanza, verses 9 through 16. So two things that we see, I think I said three, two things that we see out of this and then a conclusion. That's what we'll do. The first thing, probably the most important thing, is this. Scripture is personal. Scripture is personal. The Word of God is personal. It's never an end in itself. It's always a means. And this matters incredibly deeply. If you're familiar with Psalm 119, you'll know that the psalm is an extended, 176 verses extended, celebration of the Word of God and a commitment to the revelation of God to his people. But why? Why celebrate this word? And we get the answer in verse 10, where the psalmist says, With my whole heart I seek you. Here's why. The pursuit and prizing of God's laws, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, rules, and word. And those are all the words used in Psalm 119 for the revelation of God. The pursuit and prizing of this revelation is the primary means by which the psalmist is seeking God. With my whole heart, I seek you. In verse 2, he says, blessed are those who seek him with their whole heart. How do I seek him? I seek him by dwelling upon, meditating in, getting to know, prizing and pursuing the words that he has spoken. There was a period of time when Mandy and I were dating and getting more serious, and after we had kind of fallen in love, I went off to South Africa to study abroad. And so there, there was this great distance between us. And back then, well, I guess it's probably still the case, it took about three weeks to get letters back and forth. We were just at the beginning of the email era, but we weren't really relying only on that, so we would still write letters. And uh, I can tell you the feeling of going to the mailbox and opening it up and finding a letter 
from Mandy Yarborough, this woman that I loved and hoped to spend the rest of my life with. And how I'd take that letter and I'd go off to a place, you know, quietly by myself, sit under a tree and just open it up. And the expectation and the hope and the joy that I had of getting to open up these words and engage them. I wasn't just looking forward to information, but this was a means by which I was communicating with and getting to know someone that I loved and someone who loved me. And I devoured those words and I read them over and over again. And I smelled the letter and I did all those things that you would do because this was a communication from someone who loved me, whom I deeply wanted to know. How do you approach the Word of God? It can become for us, if you're a seminarian here tonight, you should listen to this carefully, it can become for us a textbook of sorts where we just open it up like a math textbook, where I'm going to get information. And it's really hard to stay awake when you're opening it up like that. But if this is a personal word from the God who loves you, if it's a a way into understanding him more deeply, if it's a way to knowing his heart and his character and his purposes, if it's a way to commune with him, then I would tell you that when you open this up, you'll be like I was a long time ago in South Africa. You'll come with expectation and with joy and with eagerness, anticipation that you are going to commune with and know more deeply the God who loves you. With my whole heart I seek you, and therefore I prize and pursue your word. Something that communicates your very person to me. So start there. Do you see the scriptures as something personal? I would say that thinking about the Bible in this way has the most potential to changing the way in which you interact with it. It's not an end. It's a means to know the God of heaven and earth. When you open it up tonight or tomorrow morning and you're groggy and you're tired, you can have every expectation that he is going to speak and commune with you. When you come in on a Sunday and you don't want to be here and you just came out of a disciplined habit, you can have a high expectation that as the word is read and preached that God is going to communicate himself to you. Scripture's personal. But secondly, Scripture is practical. That is, in and through Scripture, we learn the way to live, and we are guided through life. So in this sense, Scripture is like a map that guides you through territory or an instruction manual. I mean, how many of you have gotten home from Ikea before and opened up a cardboard box and had all of these pieces and parts, and you're thinking, how am I going to get through this mess And then you see that little black and white book with that stick figure guy and the question mark coming out of his head. And you think, ah, that's what I'm going to hold on to. And it's going to guide me through this mess that is otherwise overwhelming to me. I don't know how to get through it. 
The scriptures are a lot more than this, but they are certainly not less. We're guided by the scriptures in the right way of living and preserved through the scriptures from walking down the wrong paths, the wrong roads. So Psalm, the psalmist in verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it or keeping it according to your word. How can he avoid or she avoid the impurities, the, the, the ways off the path of the life of the God who made us? By keeping it according to your word. This will keep me on that path. Or verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. By knowing your word, I will be preserved and protected from going in a path of rebellion against you, in a path that doesn't lead to life, because your path leads to life. And this will guide me and direct me and instruct me. The word of God is essential to keeping us on the way of life. There's two senses in which this is true, so let me unpack that just a little bit more. First, Scripture leads us to the way of faith in God's promises. We constantly want to make life work by living by sight, by working our hardest, by getting what we think we need and what we want by our own efforts. And the overwhelming message from Genesis to Revelation is that you cannot do that and succeed. But that the way to truly be alive is to trust in, to take refuge in, to believe in, to cling to the God who made you, the God who loves you, and the God who has redeemed you. All of this, of course, pointing to Jesus himself, the enfleshed word of God, as the one to whom we are to cling. So that's the first sense in which it guides us. It guides us to take the life of faith, to trust in the provision of the God of heaven and earth, to not trust ourselves. And the second way that it guides us through the mess is to give us true instruction for how to live the life of God. That's what the psalmist is saying. If I hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, I'm, I'm gaining true instruction for the narrow path that leads to life. I'm being told how to live. I'm being told to pursue a life not of self-centeredness, but of self-giving. A life not of injustice and getting for me, but of justice and giving to my neighbor what's, what is her due. A life of mercy, a life of forgiveness. I'm exhorted to these things again and again by the author of these words. So scripture guides us practically through life. Now both of these purposes are seen actually in that well-known passage that we read in 2 Timothy 3 about scripture where we're told that the scriptures are first able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So that's that first sense. They lead you to the life of faith. And then secondly, that they are breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That is, they give you practical guidance for how to live a life, the life that God has set for us to live. They guide us in both of these ways. And here's the importance of this. As we are regularly acquainted with the path of true life, communicated to us through the Word of God, we are able to detect and refute all of the false ways of life that we are confronted with and tempted by day in and day out. 
We saw this, this is kind of repeating last week just briefly, but how Jesus embodied this in his confrontation with the devil in the wilderness, both detecting and then resisting or refuting the temptations that the devil gave to him. So in one of the most well-known verses from this lengthy psalm, the psalmist says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Scripture is practical. If we're confronted as we are with all the pieces and fragments and challenges of life and we're struggling, if you're here tonight and you're investigating the Christian faith and asking questions, then what we have to declare is that you come to this word and you find suddenly the light, the guide, the path to a life of faith, and to a life of love, which is the only life that there is. So here's the conclusion. This is such a tremendous gift. Do you see what a gift God has given us in his word? It's such a tremendous gift that the God of the universe has spoken, has revealed himself to us to lead us to himself, to lead us to the life that he gives. And that gift is the the final thing. If you look at verses 14 through 16, is something that the psalmist delights in. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word delight. What such a wonderful gift leads the psalmist to delight in the word of God. Saying, I delight in this as much as in all riches. There's nothing in the world that can be better than this, is what he's saying. Think about the thing that you want the most. Maybe it's success at work or something to happen in your life. And how you'd feel if that did happen. How how, How much you would rejoice. How thankful you would be. That's what the psalmist is saying. Nothing else can happen that can produce such a response of delight. I've been given the greatest gift that I could ever receive. The God of the universe has spoken, and he's communicated himself and his love to me. Thank you. I delight in your word. And then that delight, that response of delight, is what leads to devotion. So I will meditate, verse 15, on your precepts. I don't know if you've practiced meditation much. But it's the idea of taking just a bit, just a a phrase of the Word of God and letting God wash that over you over a period of a day or a week or a year, but just letting that just continue to mull over you. Psalm 1 says, this man, this righteous man's delight is in the law of the Lord. So because he delights, he meditates upon it day and night. Fix my eyes on your ways. This is where I'm looking. This is what I'm looking at for guidance through the mess. I'm looking here. I'm fixing my eyes. I won't forget your word, verse 16. So it's a delight that leads to devotion. We see this devotion characterizing our earliest, the earliest church. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was the authoritative word of God in their moment before 
it had been preserved for us as it has now in the New Testament. Paul told the Philippians, as they're shining as lights in the world in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, that they're doing this by holding fast, he says, to the word of life. And James said that the church is to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. They were devoted in the earliest church to the word of God. Are we? We express that devotion communally when we gather and we read and we sing and we pray and we preach and we study and we discuss the scriptures. And we express that devotion individually when we read and meditate upon and study and engage God's word in big chunks sometimes. I would encourage you to read a whole biblical book in one sitting and in little pieces. One of my contentions tonight is that if you struggle with devotion to the Word of God, that there's the prior reality of delight. And one of the places I want to exhort you and encourage you is to delight in the gift that God has given you in Scripture. If Scripture leaves you at this moment feeling confused or uninterested, to remember that you can pick this up and expect God to speak, God to meet, God to reveal Himself to you. So maybe it's not a devotion problem. Maybe it's a delight question. Do you know the depth of His love for you? The riches of His gift for you? The abundance of the life that He's offering you? So the reigning is all around us. The grace is dripping down upon us. But in Scripture, God has given us a jug into our thirsty arms to lift to our mouths again and again and again, an inexhaustible source of his life. Drink from it deeply, regularly, with expectation. Amen.